please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We continue Jesus teaching us about the kingdom parables. Matthew chapter 13. We're in uh, verses 31 through 35 this morning. Matthew 13, 31 through 35. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. He, and that he is referring to the he of he's, the Lord Jesus Christ. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Father, what an amazing privilege we have. Think about all those who lived up until that moment when Jesus spoke these words the first time and those things had been hidden since the foundation of the world and, and you have made us in such a place in time that we are allowed to hear from the God-man mysteries hidden from the foundation of the world. What a privilege to be chosen to live in this time when we so freely hear the words of Jesus. Lord, that you give us a heart to be here to listen. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your mercy to us that you have allowed us to hear these words again this morning. Father, we ask that you would help us listen that you would help us understand, that you would uh, help us to, to glean all that you want us to glean from these verses, God, that you would preach a better sermon by your Spirit than I preach with my lips, that we would hear from you, oh God, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed, that we would fall more deeply in love with Jesus, Lord, that we would grow in love for others, that we would be humbled where we're proud, God, that we would be moved in our affections for Jesus. And so move in us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Transform us. For Jesus' sake, amen. We are studying the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. These parables, these, these stories, uh, these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Is that Nick Weber? And his wife. Hello. Hello, Webbers. Praise God. Make sure you say hello to the Webbers from California. Who's an intern here for uh, several years? Make me going to cry right now. We're studying the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. Parables, these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of the Son of Man, all the same kingdom. And today we come to the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And if I had to summarize this sermon in a couple sentences, I would say God loves to take the smallest of the small and make it the biggest of the big so that He gets all the glory. 
God loves to take the smallest of the small and make it the biggest of the big so that he gets all the glory. And his kingdom, as one pastor has said, will go viral. We see this in the the parable of the leaven. His kingdom will go viral. We, We know that phrase from people putting things on the internet and it goes viral. Well, God's kingdom is going to go viral and conquer the whole world. We see over and over again in Scripture, God loves to do this. Take what's small, like leaven, a little bit of leaven, and it it permeates the whole uh, lump of bread. It's powerful. And take the small mustard seed and grow into what is big. God does this. We thought about it this morning in Sunday school. God chose the smallest when He chose Israel. Remember Deuteronomy 7, 6-8, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. He chose to love you. He did it when Israel fought wars. Remember, God decreased Gideon's army from 32,000 people to 300. And he won big. He did it when he chose David to be king. He passed over all of Jesse's older, bigger, stronger sons and chose a young little shepherd boy, David. And it was David he used to slay the great big old giant Goliath. He did it all over the place when he chose barren women to fulfill his promise to save his people from their sins. Sarah was barren until Isaac and Rebekah was barren until Jacob and Esau and ultimately the ultimately barren woman Mary, a virgin, gave birth to the great deliverer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God still today delights to choose what is small to do what is big. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the message of these parables today. And so let's look at them together, the parable of the mustard seed. Look again at verses 31 through 32. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus here is explaining the kingdom of God again. And in the context of Jesus' life and ministry, why might He be laboring so hard to explain the kingdom of God to His hearers? Remember, this ties into what we thought about last week. Many of the Jews and Jewish leaders expected the first coming of Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, to be more like His second coming. So they were, they were looking for the Messiah to come as a mighty warrior to uh, uh, destroy and conquer and rule uh, and do away with the Roman oppression and set the people free now. 
That's what they expected. And so remember James and John, Lord, do you want us to call fire from heaven and consume them? No, Jesus said no. Remember John the Baptist in prison, wondering what's going on here? I mean, I, I, I thought you were the Messiah. I, I, you know, you seem to be the Messiah, but I'm in prison. I'm about to get my head chopped off. And uh, is, is, are you really the one or is there another? Because we sort of thought, you know, you would do away with all this evil now. And so Jesus is explaining the kingdom is coming in a different way than many expected. It's, it's coming slowly, gradually, not by brute force, but by sowing the seed of the word and changing human hearts. And so the kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches in this parable of the mustard seed, starts out small. Uh, one, one sort of point of, obje- of, of objection I'll answer before we get into the meaning more, more properly. Jesus uses the mustard seed as an illustration of starting out small. Now, people, some people accuse Jesus of getting this wrong. They say, well, there are smaller seeds in the world than a mustard seed. So how should we understand this? Well, Jesus is speaking into a context. Context is Matthew 13, 32, when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. So Jesus is talking about uh, the smallest of seeds of those plants that bear fruit for eating. Herbs of the garden or herbs of the garden, garden plants. John MacArthur Comments from Dr. Shinners, who is the director of the herbarium at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. There they have 318,000 botanical specimens from around the world. And this doctor is the lecturer at the Smithsonian Institute. And he said this, the mustard seed would indeed have been the smallest of those likely to have been noticed by the people at the time of Christ. The only modern crop plant of importance which, with smaller seeds than a mustard seed, the only one in modern day for a crop plant is tobacco, he said. And that plant is of American origin and was not grown in the old world until the 16th century. All that to say Jesus got it right. Jesus is always right. If you ever come across anything on the internet, in a book, or what anybody else says that says Jesus is wrong, guess what? They're wrong, not Jesus. And friend, that's true even if at the end of days there are signs and wonders that would deceive even the elect. You've got to know that, right? I mean, I always hold that up to people and people come to me, oh, they, they found this and they discovered this and they saw this and what is the implications for this for your Jesus and his Bible and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. I always think of that verse. There will be signs and wonders at the end of the world that would deceive even the elect and we better be ready for that and say, no, I don't care what you show me. I don't care about your reasoning. I don't care about your logic. I'm going with Jesus. That's just what believers do. That's just what we follow Jesus. Always. No matter what. If if my reasoning, my logic doesn't fit what Jesus says, my reasoning, my logic are wrong. What my eyes may see are wrong. What my senses tell me are wrong. My brain, what it thinks is wrong if it disagrees with King Jesus. Jesus is always right. Jesus is speaking proverbially. uh, proverbially. Uh, This was a common proverbial way of speaking during Jesus' day to speak of something being very small. 
He used it in Matthew 17, 20. Faith as small as a mustard seed. And so Jesus' point here is the, the smallness of the kingdom, the, the, the small beginnings, the kingdom of heaven doesn't seem successful at first. You're right, John. <laughs> it, 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 it's not going the way you thought it should, but it's going just as God planned. Jesus and 12 uneducated common men. That's how it started. Jesus getting rejected by Jewish leaders. Even his own parents thought he was crazy. His disciples never seemed to fully grasp what he was teaching. Right? At the end, they all forsook him and ran away. One denied him. Another betrayed him. He ended up being crucified on a cross. And his disciples were all scared and hiding. I mean, this is how it started. Doesn't seem like a very successful way to start a world religion. But God, Sister Phyllis's shirt, but God, but God, but something happened. Something happened three days after Jesus was killed. And his disciples seemed to be transformed into bold witnesses about this man Jesus. And, and, and they were willing to die. All of the disciples were willing to die for this message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. And all of them did die except one, John, and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. They did not have their best life now. They suffered for Jesus because he is worthy. And they have their best life now in His presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so what started small began to be very big after Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin, death, and hell. Michael Faraday figured out how to generate electricity and Queen Isabella II of Spain said, what possible use can be found for electricity? Or it's like someone saying, of what possible use can this newborn baby be? So small. God has His purposes. And starting things small in His kingdom starts out small. God loves to take what's small and make it real big. And this is what He's doing with His kingdom. And friend, I want to ask you this morning, if you're here this morning, and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, has Jesus and His gospel become big to you? Has, has Jesus and His gospel become the biggest thing in your life, in fact? I mean, that's why we're here today. That's why we come on the Lord's day to put a stake in the ground and say, Jesus is all in all. Jesus is number one in my life. I hate my mother and father and wife and children compared to the way I love Jesus. Luke 14, 26. Jesus is number one by far, by an infinite distance. Has Jesus become that to you? Has He become more important to you than your clothes and to your games and, and uh, to your sports and uh, um your camp. Adam, I love that you're excited about camp. You had a good time. Somebody asked him this morning, how was camp? And he's like, it was amazing! Yes! It's good to be excited about camp. But guess what, Adam? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than camp. He's better than our phones. He's better than our 
girlfriends and boyfriends and husbands and wives and children and jobs and money and pleasure and food. Oh, some of us love food. We're foodies. We take pictures of our food and post it. He's better than our food. He's better than the quiet evening when we just want to sit back and chill and have food and watch a movie. He's better than your quietness. He's better than whatever dreams and uh, ambitions you have. You know, Jesus is bigger and better. Have you come to realize that, I wonder? Because we don't start out that way. All of us start out with all that other stuff being big and best. All that other stuff being everything to us. Our sin being big and great to us. And so the Bible teaches all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's laws, all broken God's commandments, found our joy and pleasures and all these other things, many of which aren't bad. Those things aren't bad. All those things, many of which I mentioned, aren't bad. But, 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 but Jesus must be first. And we're born putting those things above Him. And we also sin. We break God's laws and commandments. We have sex outside of marriage. And then when we do and get pregnant, we have abortions and murder the child. We tell lies. We cheat. We steal. We, we, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves and we say mean things to people. We lose our temper and get angry. We get angry and murder in our heart. We do all these things. And those are sin against God. And God is angry about those sins. And, and He will punish in hell forever and ever and ever. One of the reasons I, I like doing funerals as we did yesterday is people have to think about death. We are going to die and stand before God someday and give an account for our lives. Friend, are you ready? Are you ready? Because if you're not, God will cast you into hell forever and ever and ever where the fire will not be quenched and the worm shall not die. But God, because of His great love with which He loved us, did something to save us from that end. This is the good news. This, this is what makes you sing. Jesus came to save sinners. God loved the world so much He sent His Son to the world, the God-man, and Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he loved like no one ever loved. He taught these parables and other teachings and preached like no one ever preached. And He obeyed the Father. He's the only one who never sinned. Buddha sinned and is dead. And Muhammad sinned and is dead. Everybody has sinned and is dead or will die, but Jesus never sinned. And yet He did die. And in His death, He took upon Himself the curse and wrath and judgment of God that we deserve. And He died and was buried. And, and, and they thought it was over. How can, how can a man who's cursed by God say, be the Messiah? Because the Bible says, cursed is any man who's hanging on a tree. And here is the Messiah. They thought He was going to be the Messiah. But now He's cursed of God? Oh well, I guess He wasn't the Messiah. Wrong. He rises. He rises on this day, the Lord's Day, Sunday. That's why we meet today. We're celebrating the resurrection. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He's alive. Yes, He was cursed, but He's also blessed. He didn't die for His sin. He died for our sin. He was cursed for our sin. And He rose on the third day so that all who repent, turn from their sins, and believe in Him shall be saved. Friend, you need to believe in Him today. You need to trust in Him today and be saved. He'll change your life. 
He'll change your life. No matter how bad you've been, what sins you've done, if you believe on Him, He'll cast them all behind His back and remember them no more. You'll be forgiven. You'll have His Spirit come and dwell in you. You'll be united to Jesus Christ. You'll be born again. You'll have His law written on your heart. You'll begin to delight in Him and His Word and delight to obey Him. Friend, if you need to come to Christ and believe in Him, believe in Him now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Find me afterwards. Come and talk to somebody afterwards. Uh, there are many Christians here who would love to talk with you more. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And may what is big to Him become big to you. And so Jesus tells this parable about what, what is small, the kingdom becoming large. And, and, and He's telling His followers that the kingdom of heaven, though it begins small like a mustard seed, it's going to grow into a large tree, larger than all the plants of the garden. And we see the beginnings of, of, of this happen in the book of Acts. Acts 1, 3-8. through 8. To them He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it starts out small. And, and yet then we see what happens at Pentecost. Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to know the Lord and, and, and are baptized and are saved and are added to the church. And, and we see throughout the book of Acts, more are added and thousands are added. And yet even that is tiny compared to the number of people uh, uh, in, in the world. And, and yet we, we, we've seen throughout history, it grows and grows and grows and multiplies and multiplies and more people being saved, more people being saved to the point now where Christianity is one of the largest religions in the world. There, there are people who love Him in, in all kinds of different nations and peoples and tribes worshiping Jesus. On this day, on this day, realize, beloved, it's not just in Alney, but, but people in, in Nairobi were, were praising Jesus this morning. People in London praising Jesus this morning. People in China praising Jesus this morning. People in Somalia met together today to praise Jesus even though they might get killed for doing so. But they mean business because Jesus is worthy. And, and, and this kingdom is going to spread even more. It's going to continue to spread until we read uh, verses in, in like Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or Revelation 11.15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. It's just going to keep expanding even from where it is now. And God will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. And every knee shall bow, willingly or unwillingly. I tell people it brought it on. Jesus knows how to break kneecaps. Everyone will bow to King Jesus, willingly or unwillingly, and confess Him as Lord and God and Savior. To the glory of God the Father. And beloved, notice, Jesus even emphasizes here that, that the birds of the air will come and make nests in its branches. 
What does that mean? The birds of the air making nests in the large tree point us to the fact that the gospel is going to the nations and all nations will be saved. This imagery comes from places like Ezekiel 17 and Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel 17, 22 through 23, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. And I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs and tender one, a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. In Ezekiel 31.6, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. These birds remind us that this kingdom, you know, it's not just for you Jews, Jesus is saying. They're going to come from the east and the west. And all around, I mean, Matthew's been showing this from the very beginning as the Magi came, right? And, and, and we, we, we see Gentiles included in the very genealogy of Jesus. Jesus is again showing us here the nations are going to come and worship the true and living God through Jesus Christ. So that's the parable of the mustard seed. Now the parable of the leaven, look at verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Three measures of flour is about 50 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. It's enough to feed about 100 people with bread. At first, the leaven seems small, right, compared to the three measures of flour. It's hidden and inconspicuous. But eventually, slowly but surely, it spreads throughout all the flour until all is leavened. It has an influence on all the flour. So is the kingdom of heaven. It will spread and have influence over all people and over all the earth. At first it's small, but it is powerful and it will spread. Some of you may wrongly read interpreters on this that say the leaven is something bad and evil. Uh, they're wrong. Um, look, look again at the verse. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Uh, it's good. It's not bad. Any questions? Is that, is that clear? Okay, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because it's so obvious. D.A. Carson comments, the general thrust of this parable is the same as that, that of the mustard seed. The kingdom produces ultimate consequences out of all proportion to its insignificant beginnings. If there is a distinction between this parable and the last one, it is that the mustard seed should suggest extensive growth and the yeast intensive transformation. The yeast doesn't grow, it permeates. And its inevitable effect, despite the small quantity used, recalls Jesus' words in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. Al Mohler comments, Jesus' kingdom will go viral and conquer the whole world and influence the whole world. Ligon Duncan comments, the kingdom of heaven works from the inside out. It impacts every aspect of our being. And yet, 
transforms at times is unnoticed. This is the meaning of the parable of the leaven. God works from the inside out. God's work in us and for the kingdom impacts every aspect of our being. And it often advances in unnoticed and humble ways. I, I love what Ligon Duncan said about this portion, this, uh, this, this parable. Uh, he says, the gospel does not brag. The kingdom does not advertise itself. The kingdom does not draw attention to itself as it works. It works slowly and surely, even if it's insignificant in the eyes of men. But the kingdom works and doesn't draw attention to itself. One of the privileges that I had while serving at RTS was to know one of the professors that Paul Long had brought to us to serve as a missions faculty member, Dr. Will Norton. I first got to know Dr. Norton when he and I had offices together in the Dean Center and I met one of his students. In fact, one night I met this gentleman from Africa named Yusufu Jinkiri Late one Friday or Saturday night, he was emptying the trash in the Dean Center. Later, I found out that he was Dr. Yusufu Jinkiri and was already an accomplished Christian educator. He was a real picture of humility. The doctor, but emptying the trash. I never would have known his position because he never told me. I found out his position from someone else. And in many ways, Dr. Jinkiri was a picture of the kingdom. He humbly went about the Lord's work without drawing attention to himself. One of the great experiences I had at RTS was when we gave a going away celebration for Dr. Norton as he was leaving us to retire to RTS Charlotte to start the missions program there. There was an assembly called of the students and the faculty and we reminisced and we thanked Dr. Norton for his service in our midst. Dr. Jinkiri was one of the students who reminisced about Dr. Norton, and he told a story that left us all in tears. It seems that the reason that Dr. Jinkiri had chosen to come to study at RTS was because of Dr. Norton. And the reason that he wanted to study with Dr. Norton is because Dr. Norton had written a massive history of the evangelistic work, a missionary work, in Dr. Jinkiri's area of Africa. Dr. Norton had written the history of how that area had been evangelized by missionaries. It was some three or four hundred pages of the history of that evangelistic work, and Dr. Jinkiri was fascinated by it. But it wasn't just the story that Dr. Norton told that drew him. You see, Dr. Jinkiri knew that Dr. Norton had been the most influential American missionary in that area of the work of Christ in missions. But in the 400 pages of the history that Dr. Norton himself had written, he had never mentioned his name once. That is so convicting. Is that convicting to you? I mean, can you imagine giving your life to reach a people for Jesus and it is successful? and bears great fruit, and then you have the opportunity to write a 400-page book about how that happened, and you know you are the most important human means of that happening. And in that 400-page documentary of what happened, you don't mention your name once. That's humility. 
May God grant us that kind of humility. And when Dr. Jim Carrey read that and saw that, this is the man that I want to study under. <laughs> this is the man I want to study under. You see, that's how the kingdom works. It doesn't draw attention to itself. It goes about powerfully, unstoppably, moving on and never bragging and boasting. And finally, Jesus' parables fulfill prophecy. Look at verses 34 through 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. We see again, beloved, Jesus taught in parables. And uh, I mean, it says without a parable, he did not teach them. D.A. Carson comments, without a parable does not mean that he told nothing but parables to the crowd, but that he said nothing to them without using parables. You see the difference? I mean, we saw Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so he does teach in other ways besides parables, but he uses parables in what he teaches. In short, parables were an essential part of his spoken ministry. And Jesus' parable teaching, we see here, fulfills prophecy. The prophecy of Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78 begins with a mascal of Asaph. Asaph was a prophet. We're told he was a prophet in the book of Chronicles, that he was a seer. And in Psalm 78, 1-4, he wrote, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that have been, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Daniel Doriani comments the context of Psalm 78 suggests that God chose to reveal the truth despite the rebellion of mankind. Psalm 78 reviews Israel's history, accenting two things. God is the rock and redeemer of Israel, but Israel has been rebellious, sporadically faithful at best. Yet God never abandoned Israel. He prepared a redeemer for her. And the next two parables affirm this point and add one more thought. The kingdom not only grows large, it also has supreme value. We'll see that next week. In the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. And so Jesus, by speaking in parables, he is fulfilling the, the words of the prophet Asaph in Psalm 78, who also spoke in parables, revealing truths about God and his word, revealing truths about God's faithfulness, even in light of the faithfulness, unfaithfulness of his people. Here, Legan Duncan on these words, there are four ways in which Jesus fulfills that saying. First of all, if you will scan that psalm, Psalm 78, you will see over and over again, Asaph tell you that God manifests His power. He works wonders and He shows loving kindness in the history of Israel. Over and over, He does these things. Jesus does so more. Jesus is the greatest manifestation of God's power. The greatest manifestation of His love. In no one is God more clearly displayed in His love and His power and His grace and His wonders than in Jesus Christ. 
Notice also that Asaph shows that in spite of God's love, the people of Israel rejected him. Jesus, in spite of his love, was rejected by many in Israel and by many Gentiles as well. Asaph also ends this psalm on a triumphant note saying that God will set David up over Israel as his shepherd. Jesus in the Gospel of John said, I am the good shepherd. He is the David for which all of the Old Testament was waiting to rule over the kingdom. And of course, finally, Asaph throughout this psalm uses a parabolic style. He speaks in figures of speech using figurative or metaphorical language. And Jesus preached to the multitudes using parables and similitudes and metaphors and figurative language. The application, of course, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. His deity must be acknowledged. Jesus is Messiah. We must acknowledge Him as the one who was promised for us, both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is the Savior. He is the only way. Jesus is the shepherd. He is our guide and leader. Jesus is the teacher. He is the authority for our life. And His book, the Bible, is the only final authority of faith and practice. And we must present Jesus as He is presented in the Word if we are going to bring men and women and boys and girls to Christ because that is the only Jesus who will save. Jesus fulfills prophecy. Jesus is the King of the kingdom. And though the, the, the parable and the, and the leaven, through the parable of the, the leaven and the mustard seed, we see that God loves to take what is small and make it really, really big. Jesus is the mustard seed of mustard seeds, outgrowing all the plants of the earth. He started out small, but He ended up larger than life. You can't outgrow Him, and you can't grow without Him. The sidewalk of your stubborn heart can't stop Him from growing up and bearing fruit. There's no weed killer that can make His unconquerable branches wither and die. You can't stop His growth, stun His growth, or semen over His growth because He's sown, supported, strengthened, and satisfied by the Supreme Sovereign Savior of the world. He doesn't need soil. He doesn't need fertilizer. He doesn't need water. And He doesn't need the sun because He is the light of the world. He was smaller than small, but now He's bigger than big. He's bigger than the biggest reality you could ever imagine and then some. I wonder if He's the biggest treasure in your heart today. His beginnings were small and secluded, little and limited, but don't despise the day of small things. He was born of a virgin accused of immorality, but don't despise the day of small things. His parents were young, inexperienced, poor, and unheard of, but don't despise the day of small things. He was born and laid in the feeding trough of unclean animals, but don't despise the day of small things. He was born as a little baby in a little country, in a little family, in a little empire, on a little planet, in a little solar system, in a little galaxy, in a little universe, compared to the utter bigness of what He always has been and what He always will be. Don't despise the day of small things. He lived in an obscure, unknown life. He lived an obscure, unknown life for 30 years and publicly taught for only three years. But don't despise the day of small things. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. But don't desire, don't despise the day of small things. While ministering with His disciples, He had no place to lay His head. 
but don't despise the day of small things. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but don't despise the day of small things. His disciples never seemed to understand what He was teaching, but don't despise the day of small things. He came into Jerusalem humble and riding on a donkey, but don't despise the day of small things. His disciples all forsook Him in His greatest time of need, but don't despise the day of small things. He was falsely accused, spit on, beaten, ridiculed, stripped down naked, and hung on a cross to die the worst death in the history of the world, but don't despise the day of small things. On that cross, He satisfied the wrath of God in His own body on the tree. And as the Lamb of God, He took away the sins of the world. So don't despise the day of small things. That's my King. Do you know my King today? He didn't stay dead. And that's where all His smallness began to get really big. He rose up from the dead and conquered all the biggest enemies of God in the human race forever. His bigness conquered Satan in stunning superiority. His bigness triumphed over sin by opening a cleansing fountain filled with blood. His bigness won the victory over death so that we may live forever and live to die no more. Now He's bigger than life, more precious than life, the only one who can give life, and the only one who makes life worth living. The book written all about in the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. I think of... I think of who, who was that atheist that said the Bible will, will, will fade away in a hundred years and now, they, now his house is a, a printing press for Bibles? Who is that guy? Voltaire, yes! The Bible is going to go out of style and now his house is a printing press for Bibles. His few cowardly, denying, slow-to-understand disciples have grown in numbers to compose one of the largest religions on the planet. His disciples continue to grow and increase with people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation as they repent and believe in Him and learn to obey all that He has commanded. His kingdom can't be stopped. It won't be stopped. And the more people try to stop it by all manner of opposition, violence, and death, the more it will grow and grow back stronger. It will continue to grow until all of God's and our enemies are placed under His feet. All His chosen blood-bought people are saved. And He returns to create a new heavens and a new earth where holiness, righteousness, beauty, glory, and goodness will flourish forever and ever. For all His followers, He must be, will be, and cannot help but be their biggest joy, treasure, and pleasure, and their greatest hope, love, and delight in all the universe. Are you small today? Do you feel small today? Don't despise the day of small things. If you are Christ's, then God Almighty is for you. And no one and nothing can successfully be against you. Christ Jesus' kingdom starts out small. Like mustard seed, but then grows tall. Birds come and nest, all nations call. The kingdom leaven spreads to all. Each prophecy fulfilled the gall and wrath of God He cursed and maul. His own loved Son, His judgment fall. Christ died and rose to death recall. Now He's our all and does enthrall. His grace shields us like a great wall. So good alone on us before. What a promise. What a promise, beloved. Whatever you're facing today, whatever trials, whatever losses, whatever pains, whatever deaths, if you are in Christ Jesus by faith alone, in Christ alone, only good will befall you. Only good. It might hurt. 
It might be meant uh, by others for evil against you, but it's only good if you're in Christ. The worst things that happen to you in life are for your good in Christ. I started reading a book called All Things for Good by Thomas Watson. Amazing promise. For those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, all things work together for your good. What is that good? Being conformed to the image of Jesus. Father, thank You for this Word to us. Thank You for these kingdom parables. Thank You for the reminder that we should not despise the day of small things. Father, we thank You for Your kingdom. We thank You that though it started out small and may even seem small today like a mustard seed, like leaven, it will grow and grow and grow and permeate and permeate and permeate and influence and influence and influence. And God, we have the hope that Your glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea someday. That the calf will lie down with the lion. That the the, the, the baby can, can be at the cobra's hole and, and, and there will be peace. And every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death. No more pain. No more sin. No more suffering. No more cancer. No more heartbreak. But pure peace. Pure joy. Pure satisfaction. Oh Lord we pray. Come Lord Jesus. Consummate the kingdom. Come back, O King Jesus, we pray. And help us to live as faithful subjects of the King in the kingdom until that day. Give us faith to do so, Lord. Give us strength to do so. Give us your power to do so. Help us be faithful and help us spread this word of the kingdom. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.